Mom's Bed Choices. I'm Neela. And I'm Erica. And hey, girl. What's up? Happy, uh, happy Wednesday. Mm -hmm. uh, how was your week so far? Good. Busy. Per usual. You, what did you do? Um, work, um, parent, um, hang out with fellow podcasters, drink with fellow podcasters, learn a lot of things from fellow podcasters. Oh, we really did. Yeah. We had a really good, a lot of times we do, well, not to shade anybody, but we do podcasts with other podcasters and sometimes they're not as like lit as us and these podcasters. Or also not as, for, like, don't want to share their, their, their secrets. Their podcast secrets. You know, and they were really awesome. Um, yeah, so we did that. And uh, I don't know, had a few realizations this week This week um, that I've already known, but they were just confirmed again for me. Uh, yeah, that's it, pretty much. You know, same shit, different yeah. Wednesday. I agree. I, I don't know, I was feeling rather, like, hazy this week. I think I called you, like, I just feel like I'm in a cloud. I don't know what's happening. What's today? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think there's realizations and just shifting happening of energy, and I'm, I'm feeling it, and I'm just trying to sit in it and figure out where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing, mm -hmm. and not feel rushed or guilt about not doing, and just be and not doing, and honor that, and then say, when are you going to move? What's the next step? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, we have a guest here, a very, very, very special guest that we've been stalking for six to 12 months. <laughs> Me and Erica do so much talking. We it's do. crazy. Mm -hmm. um, midwife, the black midwife, Rasha Tahini. Tahini. Rasha. Ta Rasha. Oh, Jesus oh. Christ. <laughs> you got it right the first time. You were like, Rasha Tahani? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and, so, then, and then we record and just totally chop okay. and screw. It's, hey, it's Well, this is what happens when you discuss things over email and text and DMs. There's not like real... Words, words happening. happening. Well, when does people? When do people have time for actual phone conversations? I don't know, but I believe in phone conversations. As I know, I believe. I believe in face to face. Yes, go, 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 please. Okay, okay, you don't have to go. Um, <laughs> the kids are outside. They're already driving me crazy. <laughs> I'm like, the reason your friend is here is so that you are distracted. Go be distracted. <laughs> I love that name, Rasha. What does it mean? Okay, uh, great story. My parents were <clears throat> hippies, musicians, artists. Well, my, my dad was. My mom was just cool with all of it. <laughs> and uh, I was their firstborn. And when they were pregnant with me, they actually went to a gypsy, a legit gypsy, mm. um, to seek out what my story was going to be in the womb. And so uh, part of it was my name, Rasha Tahani, which means uh, royal dear one, uh, but like a deer by itself, not like endearment but like an actual like someone with antlers out mm. somewhere mm. um it's arabic and it's actually very common in thailand it's a man's name rasha mm. oh. uh, that was loads of no fun in thailand <laughs> <laughs> and in malaysia um and so yeah the gypsy told them what my name should be and that i was a girl baby and they were like cool and then they went with that cool. oh that's cool right. so, sounds like something yeah, i would sounds do. like up at nisha, uh, not nisha <laughs> jamila's alley People always ask me, they're like, oh, so what's your real name? Like, I changed it to that, to this, and I'm like... So your first name is Rasha Tahani? My first name is Rasha. Rasha. My middle name is Tahani. Okay. And you just go somewhere them. around, like, college, I decided I liked all of it together, and that's apparently how it was supposed to be. 
And so I just was like, oh yeah, that's my that's my get down, it's my jammy. But yes, people oftentimes will be like, so what's your real name? And I'm like, that is my real name. They're like, <laughs> on your birth certificate. And I was like, that's on my birth certificate. I don't even know why they would ask that. It sounds like a real name to me. I, mm-hmm. It's not like Blue Leaf. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no diss to the Blue Leafs. No, I mean, I'm mean, all about Blue Leaf. Shout out to Blue Leaf. Fuck <laughs> you're out there. <laughs> Not blue leaf. Possibly. In my in my line of work, possibly. Well, there's blue ivy, so, you know. Not oh, far well, off. oh, right. that's what our... Mm, not far off. There. That was our Freudian. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how did you get into birth work? Like, what is your story in your line of work? How oh. did you discover that was your passion? You know, that's a really great question. I'm sorry. I'm always distracted by littles, especially beautiful littles. Beautiful chocolate littles. <laughs> um, so... My, <laughs> sorry, we're just doing a lot of miming because we literally just had this conversation. You're acting like we don't do this every week. I should have brought my eight-year-old. Go get the snap. I know she babysat. Do whatever you want. This is all. It's your world. Just go, go, go crazy. Do whatever you want. Oh my god, that's scary. It's a scary thought. Yeah. But they're only four, so if you told us like me at fifteen, do whatever I want. Bye. <laughs> I would home. have the car keys. Never coming and home. A, and a phone book and be like, let's <laughs> yeah, go. Right. Like, I got my mom's credit card. We're going to Vegas. Right. <laughs> well, now fifteen now would be like, let's get and buy all the apps. Yeah. <laughs> oh right. god. Right. <laughs> I didn't oh. think about that. Yeah. I wouldn't even have to move. Let's just get all the apps. Exactly. <laughs> just sit here and buy all the apps. Oh. So, um, hmm, childhood. I. I came to midwifery late, and I say that with air quotes, late, um, in the sense that my entire childhood was spent around my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, who was a labor and delivery nurse for many, many years in Los Angeles, um, was a nurse during the time of segregation, so meaning working on a unit and it being only black and brown people. Mm-hmm. And if there was a black or brown doctor, then that's who they did the births with, but if there wasn't, it was like when the white doctors got around to it. Mm. And so she caught a lot of babies. And her grandmother was a midwife. She helped her grandmother with one of her siblings' deliveries. She was one of 11. And so I grew up around birth. I don't know why I wasn't like 12 talking about, oh, I want to be a midwife when I get older. But it just wasn't, it was just so normalized. It wasn't even like a career thought. Right. Um, I was working for Kaiser Permanente in environmental health and safeties. I was an emergency preparedness department administrator. I like schedule everybody's trips and classes and whatever else. Um, They did, I guess, train me for uh, conflict resolution and cultural competency. So that was like a class I used to teach, which is hilarious to me. In the hospital? No, in the oh. corporate office. Oh, okay. Of the um, so, like, you know, talking to people about racism, which is like talking to a wall as a black person to white people. Talking to, <laughs> talking to the employees about talking racism. Talking to the employees about racism. Yeah. So, while I was working that job, <laughs> this is amazing, right? Sorry. Now. No, so this is fine. what happens. We haven't this had is, a, This is mothering. Yeah, this we haven't had an parent. episode with them here in a long time. I mean, I think we got, we forgot. You forgot. <laughs> that they'd be annoying. This, no. is, this is parenting. So, usually it comes around like. The 20 minute mark, it's just been from one minute on. But it's fine. I love them, but. But then maybe they'll be fine as later on <laughs> right. at the end. Who knows? I don't know. But anywho, how I ended up at, at Midwifery, where I was like, oh, why haven't I been doing this for the last 50, 11 years? Uh, I was at Kaiser and my cousin by marriage 
she calls and she's like, well, if you want to be at this birth, you know, you better come on. And she'd already given me a heads up. She's having this a birth. This would be your first one. This would be the first birth that I would go to with the intention of I'm going to go see a birth. But I had been to births before, like in hospitals. Right. And. But never went at home. Never went at home. And me at this point, like I was wearing braids more often. I was wearing my fro. But. I think like literally two weeks earlier, I had like a ridiculous Naomi Campbell weave to my butt. Like I was a completely different person. Mm. And so I remember asking her like, what does one wear to a birth? <laughs> like that's the LA girl in me. Like, so girl, what do I wear to this I mean, birth? Is this an all white party? Like do right. I wear, or is it a same thing? Like should I wear jeans? Right. Like should I not have my nails done? Right. Like I was really that there. Should I bring a hippie outfit? Cause it's gonna be a Exactly, home. should I wear like a moo-moo? I have some, I have some caftans. Like, are we going to drum? Like, I didn't, I really had no clue. <laughs> You're me. Um, and then I roll up to the house, and and I have to say it because it's relevant. She, at the time, was a recording artist and a writer, and so was her husband a producer. And in between the contractions, this is her third baby, she's in her sound booth laying down vocals in between contractions. And oh, wow. the two little white midwives are in the corner knitting. And I'm just like, <laughs> what is this life? What, what is this? Like, I was like, oh, this must be something that wealthy people do. Is this, wait, is this before or after you've had your children? I've had no children at this okay. point. Okay, okay. Um, I was super, super young. I think maybe I was legal to drink. Maybe. I don't know. But I'm there, and it's 50, 11 family members. There's grandparents, great-grandparents there. The littles, her older children, her and her husband's older children are running around. And then after she can't record any more vocals, then she's just like in her room. And when her, I think she, I think Kanice was four, maybe four. When she got up on the bed, when her sister's head was crowning and was touching her sister's head and then looks at all of us and is like, it's my sister, my sister's coming. I was in the corner like this, <laughs> all the tears and just being like, how do I do this for a living? This is amazing. Like, oh my gosh. And she helped catch her baby sister. Her dad caught, but she helped. And then she, my cousin just started nursing right away. And then everyone was just acting like it was no big deal. I went in the kitchen and was just called to make soup. Like, literally, the ancestors were like, you got to get in there and make some soup. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I got to make some soup. I was like, I got to make some soup. And, like, mind you, there was already, like, I think fried chicken and a lasagna because it's black people. And right. a pound cake and some monkey bread. And I was like, I'm going to make a soup. <laughs> yeah. And we just, we hung out for hours and the midwives did all their little checks and whatever and measured the baby and weighed the baby and they were like okay have a good night we'll see you in a couple days and I followed them out to the car and I was like okay so how do I do this where's your office can I sign up like where do I go to school and they were just like oh yeah that's everybody so sweet bye and I was like no 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 really no they gave zero and I proceeded to stalk that poor woman for like three months and she was just like look Everyone goes to a home birth and thinks they want to be a midwife. And I was like, no, like, I felt like I was supposed to already been doing this when I was sitting there. And she was like, oh, well, unfortunately, I don't, I don't need an apprentice right now. I'm really sorry. At that point in time in LA, there were no black licensed home birth midwives. This is the very late 90s. Yeah. And there was one home birth midwife that was unlicensed, so practicing illegally, but was very skilled and had her children at home with her husband. She was vegan. I think she even was like, you know, on some other situation where she was like drinking only herbs at one point. Like she was <laughs> on a whole nother level. She had gone to nursing school. She was from the South, but she was just like, our people need us. And so I started apprenticing with her and doing the Kaiser thing still. And like slowly at Kaiser, they're like, wow, your hair is just getting nappier and nappier. And <laughs> You know, we noticed that you were really not coming to the office sharp like you used to. And I was like, you know what? This is not my love. 
let me go get in nursing school. And uh, I did nursing school for a little bit and came head on with the realities of the medical system, which was if I was going to work in it, I was then being complicit in the way they treated black people in their birthing and that I really didn't have a voice to try and fix it or help them, at least in my, in my mind. <clears throat> and I will say, being a Scorpio, I don't like people telling me what to do. Join the club. <laughs> like, it's a yeah, thing. High five. It's a thing. Um, <laughs> Definitely a thing. <laughs> I don't like people telling me what to do. And so uh, the straw that broke the camel's back was during the week, during a specific week, I had gone to like three home births, these beautiful black families pushing out their babies. And it wasn't... Two of them, it was, they had done lots of research and they were like, we're having a home birth because this is the best thing for our family. Another, it was because the husband wasn't sure if his felony had been expunged and he was worried that if they had a hospital birth that he might be arrested or that there might be some mess. But he had documents saying that it had been expunged, but, but it was just, he, he was, was just feared, fearful. Still fearful. I actually have a friend, we have a friend who got arrested at the at the hospital uh -huh. at the birth of his child before he picked that child up. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that's what this father was afraid of. And this is like the gentlest giant. He was probably like 6'11 and 300 pounds, but like so sweet. And his wife was like, yeah, no, I, that we can't, that's, that can't be the way we welcome our baby in. So those have been the three experiences I had. I went to the hospital for my shift as a nursing student. And this group of women came in who now I believe were um, East African, like, like, somewhere like around like a Bedouin tribe type situation because they were shrouded in all these beautiful fabrics. No one could find a translator for them, but it was very clear that there was one person in labor and that all the other women with her were supporting that labor. And I just saw black people and I was like, okay, I'm gonna try and help. Everyone else was kind of like, I don't know what's wrong with them. What are they doing? We're trying to get a translator. Can you just get them in the room? And I was like, okay. And one of the nurses was like, get her IV started, get her on the monitor. And I'm like, Okay, now first off, that's not the job of a nursing assistant. That's a nurse's job. But, right. you know, I was overzealous and they were like, Rashad, I'll do it. I get them in the room, but this is all like hand gestures and, you know, making sounds. And I don't, I don't even, I don't even know to this day what language they spoke. And it was clear maybe one person kind of spoke English. Well, they pull out all these gorgeous pillows and she is pulling, hiking up her dress to squat and birth the baby in the room with these pillows. And I'm like, oh yeah, we're doing this, this is amazing. <laughs> and me being me, I'm like, well, let me cover those pillows with something, because those are really nice. And they were like throwing them away. Like, no, 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 the baby has to be born on these pillows. pillows. And I was like, oh, well, I'm about this. And right as the baby is literally crowning coming, I'm opening the door and being like, someone needs to get in here, the baby's coming. And what happened next was just horrifying. They're screaming at them. They're telling the women to get in the corner. They're trying to lift this person up off the floor with a baby's head, basically mm. coming out and screaming at her, don't push, don't push. And I'm like, she doesn't understand you. But this is, like, everything is fine and you are messing, messing it up. up. Right. And um, she ended up, like, some kind of way pushing her way and the baby was born on the pillow and then they all freaked out and it was like... BOA, which means born out of sepsis. So like the baby wasn't born in a sterile field. And so like, the pillows were the pillows were, were not sterile. So, mm. And so then it was like them taking the baby from her and trying to do all the stuff to do the baby exam and her screaming like, and all what are you the doing? women trying to fight. And I was just standing there like Oh my god. Because I'm a kid and I'm just like, oh my 
And then I got reprimanded and it was like, you know, you are losing your clinical priv- privileges. You can only observe now. And this is not how we do things. And that was it. I was you like, set me in a room with eight people I don't speak the same language as. You told me to put them on an IV monitor. The baby is crowning. No one is present. And I'm... Yeah, yeah. Okay. Even though I did the part where I opened the door and I said, you know, we need help in here, and uh, I was like, this is, I was like, I can't be complicit in this. Like how they treated this person, person and you know, they they don't know their rights. They don't know anything. They just thought, oh, we have to come to the hospital to have this baby, and I felt horrible. And I was like, I, how am I gonna work in this? How am I gonna every day come in and be okay with this? or be fighting constantly with the people that I work with and the system that's in place that is not going to change. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I was like, all right, I'm gonna become a home birth midwife. And I thought I just had to kind of go the illegal route because I couldn't get an apprenticeship. None of the white midwives would even take my call. Wow. They wouldn't see me, they wouldn't schedule me. This one woman scheduled me, she was all the way in Orange County. And she basically, she had seen like, you know, when you're young, you put everything on your resume, even things that are not relevant. In this radio station, a um, long time ago, it used to be called the Beat. I think it's the Beat now, but yeah. it's something new. Right. But a long time ago, they had a street team, and I was on the street team. I was one of the kids that would like run around with the flyers and be like, "This club, this club, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, this club, this club, this club, this club." I, I would do that, and you don't get paid. Yeah. It's just like then you can go to the club. Right. But I wasn't old enough to go to the club. Right. So. Drink ticket or something. Exactly. And she heard about that and wanted me to be her student to get her on radio stations. She saw 92.3 The Street Team and she said this. So she was like, so do you think you could schedule me some interviews on some of the local radio stations? And like not trying to teach me how to be a midwife. And I was just like. Saying how you you thinking you could benefit her. I was like, oh Oh, yeah, no, bye. And I left. And then I found out about this school and it was all the way in Texas. At the time, my then husband didn't have a job. I, at the time, had like 50-11. I was braiding hair, I was starting people's locks, I was watching people's babies, I was working in the hospital, I was being a midwifery student apprentice, all kinds of things. And the school was like, we have a woman of color scholarship and if you write us an essay and we love it, you can come here for free. So I like give them all of the story that I just gave you and they were like, you can come here for free. (laughs) And I proceeded to work my ass off for another eight months, saving every single paycheck and paying just rent and whatever little bills we had. We sold our stuff and we moved to Texas and I went to school and graduated pregnant. (laughs) And uh, I graduated and then had my son like six months later at home and I never, like, as soon as he was, I think it was maybe six months old, we went to our first home birth. Mm. You had a home birth? I had a home birth with him. Who was your midwife? So it was teachers from the school, and one of my, she's now one of my best friends, but she was one of the teacher's best friends, and she was a midwife who had graduated. All white women, but an interesting team so the uh, <coughs> the most experience was actually the clinical director of the school who is still in texas and runs a birth center she was a white lesbian and she was political and she was the first white woman i ever saw in a midwifery conference stand up and be like where are the black women where are the black people where are black people in the history of midwifery mm. y'all are all wrong y'all are all like foul and none of you have black students like what are you doing and i was like oh, oh. i like her we <laughs> can be friends <laughs> And then someone who had kind of studied under her, who was from Cali, she was a Cali girl, she knew LA, she was white, but she was cool, and I was like, okay, you. And then she had this friend that was from Jersey, and I was just like, I don't like her. <laughs> like, ugh. Like, what is with her? What's she got to add to? Right. 
And then we ended up being best friends. Like, mm. she was a rider. Like, when my then-husband tapped out when I was on my fifth hour of back labor, she, like, got in there, rolled her sleeves up, and was, like, giving me this counter pressure for, like, four hours straight. And I was like, I love you. He can go. You can stay. <laughs> um, he was so quickly replaced. Um, and then she, ended up, she and I ended up working together as midwives in Texas and... You know, then when I moved back to California, I moved to the Bay first, and she and I worked together. And, uh, yeah, that's how it all started. That's how it all started. Um, that's an amazing story. Yeah. Um, I, it's funny because I didn't... When you think of midwives and the history of midwifery, mm-hmm. um, the, like, the fact that you had a hard time finding other black midwives and that they're so not inclusive is, like, black women have been birthing babies since forever Mm -hmm. like black women assisted other women like birthing babies and when um like when OBGYNs started really like the boosting the recruit system or whatever Mm -hmm. they started making these like um these how do you say like propaganda flyers campaigns campaigns and they had them portrayed as like these big big mamas dirty dirty like ancient mama looking women, like you uneducated. Don't want uneducated, dumb black women. You don't want these people birthing your babies. Come to the doctor, and that's really how the influx and how it shifted for us. Who, how we now, a lot of people now think socially, we have to go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. But initially, it was black women mm-hmm. as midwives. I mean, I don't know if that was the name then or whatever. Yeah, but we've always been, been midwives. midwives, and you know, and wet nurses and all those things. So it's so interesting to me that like this this white woman had to stand up and say, hey. Where are the black people here? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and even, like, even so now, would you say there's a lot of other black midwives that you know of in this area, like in L.A.? <laughs> so in the state of California, in Southern California, I believe there are six of us, maybe, maybe six. But one of them is my cousin, and she doesn't practice because she got burnt out. She, okay, so. And in Northern California, I believe there's three. How many, how, I know you have so many clients. But in the state of California, there are over 400 white midwives. How, how, <laughs> how many of your clients would you say are black women? Ooh. So I, uh, I would say... I have one white family, two white families a year. Oh, really? And I do four to six births a month. Just because she's the the black midwife, she does tend to other people, you guys. I do. <laughs> Our friend we got her from is not black. She was her midwife. <laughs> that's, how we, that's how we know No, her. no, no. I'm, I'm very much equal opportunity. You know, it was actually my, my web mistress. When I moved back to L.A. specifically, I had a really ugly, nasty, horrific divorce and moved back to L.A., and then eventually opened my own birth center. And my webmistress, I was her midwife. So she was like, I got you, What is girl. a webmistress? Yeah, what is that? So you know you have webmasters? Oh. And so I was like, like an online person. Webmistress. So okay. she built my website. Okay. She's a graphic designer. She did all the amazing good stuff. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not calling you a webmaster. I'm going to call you a webmistress. Okay. And she was like, I'm here for that. Okay. Um, but like... You know, she was like, you have to put certain words on your website for people to be able to find you when they Google you. And this was 2011. 
And so she was like, you got to put black midwife. You got to put African midwife. You got to put African-American midwife because that's what people are Googling. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whatever, do whatever. I don't know technology. You do it. Right. And so from there, it just became the black midwife. midwife. Got it. Not because I was like, I am the black midwife. <laughs> it was just like, hey, if you can't find a midwife, I know if you type in black midwife, you'll, you'll find, find me. Right. So that's how that started. The majority of white clients that I've had over the years were mostly people that were like, I see that there's a problem and I want to support what it is that you're doing because my money is going to maybe help you support some other family that's not white. And I was like, you could stay. But but that's what I I said that because I feel like to all my non-black people listening, (laughs) um, I feel like sometimes people who are not of color, not black, see black Mm -hmm. and I say, I'm for my people. Mm -hmm. And suddenly they get all weird and antsy and awkward. Oh, they totally do that too. And it's like, oh, so I'm not included here? Mm -hmm. Let me be the one to tell you. You, although you're used to it, (laughs) may not be the target and you may not be... Just because you're not who we're aiming for and we're including others and we're propping others and we're highlighting Mm -hmm. us doesn't mean you're not included and it's not to to belittle you or bring you down, but stop thinking, even subconsciously, even Mm -hmm. if you didn't realize it, Mm -hmm. Susie, that you are at the center of all things. That part. We have not been forever. Forever. (laughs) And so... Well, actually, we've always been the center of all their things. We're just not allowed to be acknowledged. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) We are allowed to bear all of the burden and do all of the heavy lifting and all of the labor, but with zero acknowledgement. And if that makes you uncomfortable, now is the time to sit back wherever you are, in your car, your bedroom, with a friend, and think, wow, damn, this is true. (laughs) I shouldn't be offended. In fact... Because I like people and I realize there's a huge disparity, I should stand up. I should be that woman who stood up and said, where are all the black people? Yes. Okay? And when someone else does it, black, white, or other, you should support them and acknowledge it because it's a huge problem. So that's my announcement. (laughs) It is an an absolute problem. I mean, I I remember when I was running my birth center and... Black people would come up to me and say, oh my God, I didn't know you had a birth center. And I was like, what are you talking about? I just had my baby at this other birth center and I didn't even know that there was a black midwife or that there was a black birth center. And I said, did you ask them if they knew of any black midwives? And they were like, yes. And they told me they didn't know of any. And I said, did you ask them if they knew of of a black birth center or a black owned birth center? And they were like, yeah. And they told me they didn't have any, but that they would do their best to take great care of me. And I was like, well, I'm going to tell you right now, I trained that person. Oh, that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) That part. Well, I think the crazy thing about it is like okay and I just I knew this but I was watching oh Sean King posted something and it was this physician's assistant being interviewed and basically he's readily admitting on camera he's a A white white and you know it dawned on me like we think about it with police we think about it with judges but when you're black you have to think about it in general Yes. The person at the store, the person who, whatever, wherever, the teacher that you're fucking, you're dropping your kids off to every day. Mm -hmm. When you're in a a position of power in any place, especially in the medical industry, like these are people's lives at hand. Mm -hmm. People have died because of negligence, just Mm -hmm. because people don't give a fuck because Mm -hmm. they're racist. Well, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think, oh, it's the, well, this is, this is the one space where we're going to be okay. 
Like, they don't even, like, think about, I'm not going to be mistreated here. Well, because you're like, panicking. It's usually, if you're at the hospital, it's, it's probably because there's an emergency. Mm-hmm. And also, if you're sick, you're desperate. And you're just hoping that, and you rely and trust on these medical professionals to know all this shit when they're just like you and me and they're just wearing white coats and mm-hmm. paid $500,000 to go to school. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm not saying they're, to discredit any medical doctors, but I think it's important for us to acknowledge that people are still people. They're only limited to their scope of understanding and their scope of knowledge and sometimes they don't be knowing Mm -hmm. you know and like you have to really be aware especially when you're bringing children into the world and how you're being treated like this story is crazy well you have to remember also with with midwifery and with midwives it was an honorable possession position it was a revered position like it wasn't just anybody could be a midwife it was you were chosen either by your community or you were chosen by whoever was the reigning elder midwives at the time. It was the passing of the baton. And even under slavery, it was still a revered position. So you probably weren't going to get whooped as much. You probably weren't going to be as, as mistreated. But it was still considered a gross job to tend to people in their laboring and their birthing. And if you were not lactating yourself, it was your responsibility to find the slave that was going to nurse the masses baby. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of responsibility and you weren't just the midwife and Marissa taking care of people in their birthing. Most oftentimes, still still in many parts of, of Africa, but also in the South, your midwife was also your community healer. So if you busted your head open, the midwife, if they could suture up a vagina, they could suture up your forehead. Mm-hmm. Like it was the person that you went to for everything. If you got shot or if you was trying to escape and got hurt, it was sometimes, oftentimes, a midwife that took care of you, mm-hmm. even if it had nothing to do with birth. with birth. And we now live in a time where everything is at the push of a button without actual direct communication and the hospital is a machine, it is a business, and it's a very efficient business, which means there are timelines, there are expectations, and if you don't meet them, they're gonna help you meet them. Because mm-hmm. there's a turnover. All, uh, there's a turnover, and it's also <laughs> under the guise of, well, this is in your best interest, this is for your well-being. this is how we're gonna keep you safe, this is how we're gonna guarantee you a perfect, healthy baby. Well, number one, no one can make that guarantee. No one. I've had clients that, we're seeing a doctor, a perinatologist, a cardiologist, like everybody and me. And we still ended up with a baby that died or a baby that had genetic anomalies. How do you have genetic anomalies if you have been tested for genetic anomalies and have ultrasounds and say you have no genetic anomalies and then the baby's born like two weeks early and it's like, this baby has genetic anomalies. Like these things get missed. And so no one can promise anything. Mm-hmm. What midwives, what we try to do is fully inform you the entire process of like all the ways that this could go and help you remain in your power, meaning these are all your options. How do you want to move forward? And then supporting you in them as opposed to this is what you have to do and if you don't do it, your baby could die. Mm -hmm. This is what you have to do and if you don't do it, then we're calling Child Protective Services. Mm -hmm. This is what you have to do because I'm the doctor and I'm smart and you don't know anything. Mm -hmm. You don't know your own body. That part. And so we're not not listening to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we're oftentimes people will hire midwives now maybe not even intending on having a home birth, but just wanting to be heard and seen during their pregnancy and not be ignored and not be dismissed. And if they end up with a home birth, they're like, great, amazing. If they end up in the hospital, but their midwife has fully informed them and prepared them and stays with them (coughs) during their care in the hospital, 
you will find someone who had a C-section that is completely okay with their C-section because they had say-so over every step of it. And they were the ones that were like, yeah, you know what? This needs to happen. This little baby is just not going to come like this. Or this baby is now in a place where I'm worried about the well-being of this baby. So I'm calling in. Mm-hmm. Or people who push out their babies to the hospital with an epidural because they were in labor for 60 some odd hours at home. And they were like, yo, I tried that. Now give me the drugs. Mm-hmm. And I go, yeah, let's go. And I support them in that and they don't get judged and it's not like, oh, you gave up or, oh, you didn't do it. It was like, girl, do you feel like you did it the way that you wanted to do it? Mm-hmm. Does your family like feel like they had a good experience? Then mission accomplished. Mm-hmm. That means the trauma is significantly less than if you had just been like, well, let me just do this doctor hospital route and see what happens. Right. A lot of my clients are people that have had bad experiences in the hospital and now they're trying something different. Or they've seen someone else close to them have a bad experience and they're like, yo, I'm, I don't need to have a bad experience to be like, I want to try better next time. I'm going to have hopefully the good experience the first time and never have to have the traumatic experience. I think that's what happened to me. Like, I, I saw my friend in high school have a baby and like it scared the shit out of me. It was oh, just I bet. nobody spoke to her. There's all these beeping noises, people moving around quickly, no one's saying anything and to her. And she a teenager? Yeah, and I was. And I had like not even thought about where or how or any of those things my mom mm-hmm. went to, i was born in Ella. i was born my parents went to tuskegee Sorry. and oh, i was so you know I, my parents went to tuskegee mm-hmm. just because they were in school there mm-hmm. and I, I was conceived and born there and they went to the hospital closest to school and they refused to take them my mom was in labor because it was racist mm-hmm. and they, they refused to take her we had to drive to montgomery mm-hmm. and then <laughs> shit is crazy when i think about it and then they finally reluctantly took my mom in Montgomery, which is like not, I mean, I guess they had to drive somewhere in labor. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't allow my dad to be in the room with her because mm-hmm. they weren't married and she had to give birth by herself mm-hmm. in the room. Mm-hmm. And now when I think about that, I'm like, I can't imagine, like, first of all, I was so well informed because I'm a psycho and I went, I, I researched crazy and I, I, I feel super empowered. I, 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 was empowered in my body because I at that point knew friends who had given birth at home and like I had done my research but I, I, I still couldn't have imagined being by myself in a hospital it's already scary yeah absolutely so you know your mom's a G yeah you know she's like 22 years old like mm-hmm. you're young you don't know shit but it's just and I, I feel badly because I feel like particularly in our community we're not informed like about birth about about breastfeeding and these are things that are bought we've done for a hundred years like everybody every time someone gets all their panties in a bunch about home birth i'm like how the fuck do you think we populated the earth before hospitals yeah i mean even my like my my daughter's father like when i told him that i wanted to have a home birth Mm -hmm. he was like why (laughs) what what why why and that's why i even interviewed a few midwives um i couldn't find a black one didn't, I was didn't know you existed. <laughs> um, maybe, and I feel like that could have made the difference for him. Mm-hmm. And then he might have supported me because he's very pro-black. Um, but so I had this white woman come to my house. I'll never forget. We're sitting right there, and she was she was like talking about you know he was asking her so like if there's an emergency what happens? Mm-hmm. She's like, well we go to the hospital. He's mm-hmm. like, then let's just go to the hospital. Like, why are we here? What are we doing, Erica? Like, mm-hmm. I don't feel comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. I'm not willing to risk my first baby. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and I, I had already started to go to to my OBGYN, who, and she had already kind of, like, planted the seed of, you know how many dead babies I've I've, I've seen from from home births? Like, in, in his mind, and in my mind, too. And mm-hmm. I was a little bit scared, but I was still holding on to the business of being born, and I was I like... I can't believe she said that to you. I can, absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
And um, I mean, this is the same woman who said after my, because I had a C-section, I ended up having a C-section, not part of anything that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, that bitch had a dinner at seven. That, that she surely she, did. That after I had the C-section, I went for my visit. She's like, okay, well, it was so excited, like, you know, for your next baby, we'll just, you know, we'll just, just cut that right back open and do it again. And Open I was the like, hatch. And I was like, what the fuck? Because my C-section. <laughs> You're like, I hadn't even healed. Hadn't even I healed. hadn't barely healed. And also, I was like, I'm never having another kid again. Second of all, and that would just obviously change now. But and also, like, see, the C-section was like the worst recovery of my life. I know some women recover from it great. I was, it was terrible. But did you also labor and like trying to have a No, I didn't. No, she told me that I'm, uh, I'm late <coughs> and that I needed to be induced. <coughs> And that if I didn't start, if my water hadn't broken by this amount of time, mm-hmm. I need to be induced. My baby was getting too big. It was the chance of me having a vaginal birth were, was decreasing. And so I scheduled my in, in, induction. induction. Mm-hmm. Went to the hospital, immediately started crying mm-hmm. out of fear. I, like, I didn't even know why you're crying. Like, why was no, that? No, like my, my whole family was so excited. Like, we knew it was coming today. And, you were and I got into the room and I just started crying because I had never been in a hospital. I have related hospitals to like death or to like something going wrong. Mm -hmm. And like I'm looking at this bed I'm going to lay in and I just like start having an anxiety attack. Um, And they induced me and immediately my contractions were like level 10 and I couldn't take it. And so then epidural and then I was just chilling for 30 hours in labor. Never progressed. Um, They popped my, they popped popped my, yeah, and I never progressed. And then I started getting sick and I started shaking and having fevers and then my baby was at risk and then C-section. Yeah. Um, So it was all just like really scary. And so now I'm just like, I'll never do that again. I know, I I know I'm capable of having a regular birth. Mm -hmm. I should have never listened. I should have never like... I was the first of my friends to have kids. I had no point of reference. And my family has always been over medical. Everything is a med. Like, my, 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 my daughter had, like, a little rash on her face. My mom's like, you need to take her to the doctor. I'm like, let's just see how it plays out. Like, Meanwhile, why do we need to go to the doctor immediately? Like, that's always the, the, the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even for, for black people, too. Even oh, yeah. though, like, a lot of times black people don't even realize that they're being discriminated against mm-hmm. and that they're not getting the answers that they deserve or, you know... Well, we're just so used to receiving less. Yeah. We're just so used to. Well, we don't even. Yeah, short. we don't even realize we are receiving less. Yeah. We're just like, oh, this is just what I'm supposed to experience. This yeah. is just what I'm supposed to, to, to deal with. Yeah, and so it's just I, I, I'm sure that I mean I, I'm curious to know how fathers like what the meetings are like with fathers, black fathers. Oh, I love and, I love the fathers. I love the daddies. Because like we had a midwife the on fathers. a few weeks ago, um, and she was saying how the. A lot of times she has to, or she's not a midwife, she's a doula. Um, that she has to doula the dads because <coughs> they are freaking out half the time, don't know what to do, and like don't know how to like. Well, if, I mean, if she, if that particular person is dealing with hospital families, then yes, absolutely. But midwifery, the reason why, so the reason why midwifery care works is because a lot of people think of home birth as like a doctor, but you do it at home. So they're still medicalizing the experience of pregnancy, labor, birth, and postpartum. And midwifery is not that. Midwifery is midwifery. It's a completely different type of healthcare. And so what that means is most midwives spend minimum 30 minutes with you. Your visits are minimum 30 minutes. I spend an hour with my clients. I give them an hour. They have 45 minutes to an hour for us to work it all out at every appointment from the beginning all the way to the end. If their partners come, that means they're getting in that hour too. So by the time you have your baby, by the time you're in labor, you don't care about walking around your house naked having contractions. Your partner doesn't care about me sitting there in the living room while you're walking around having contractions. Your partner is 
confiding in me, being like, she's doing good, you know, this is what's been happening, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, cool, how are you doing? I'm all right, I'm all right. Like, everyone has so much information, it's no longer scary. Mm -hmm. It's normalized. And... <laughs> and that is that is a that is the crux of midwifery. When people talk about like, aren't you scared to have a home birth? Aren't you scared to have your baby outside the hospital? No, because you have so much information in regards to the pros and the cons and all your different options. And it's not like home birth when my grandmother was helping her grandmother. No one is on a stick and just biting it and getting through knowing there's no other option. At any point, we could just be like, you know what? Let's just roll over to the closest hospital. I don't wanna do this anymore. Right. Or you know what? you look really tired you've been doing this for a long time i can offer you an iv here at the house if you want we can go to the house like what do you want to do just in asking someone what do you want to do? do that can be the complete and total shift between i can't do it anymore and being like okay you know what no 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 i'm just gonna yeah i was pull it together and that. keep going never give me chills exactly. just, just you saying that gives me chills literally never ask that the, question just the option to say I'm I I trust that I've given you the information. Yeah. Now, what is it that you want to do? Exactly. Versus your baby's gonna die. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because literally, you get to the hospital and it's like the third sentence in. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. And, and that's, like low key. That's how they keep themselves from being sued. Is because the first thing an interrogator, a lawyer, you know, an investigator is gonna ask is, well, did they tell you that your baby could die? If you know, if oh, that's what's right, happened. right. And so it's like, well, yeah, the doctor did. A lot of times, and it's like, oh my god. Doctors have to tell you the worst case scenario because they're afraid of being sued. Yeah, no, they know they're going to be sued. They know they're going to be some, sued. Some hospitals won't even let you record your births anymore because they're afraid that you'll catch something that's Well, they like, don't want it to go viral of if, them if, being if, on some mess. Yeah, if they if they <laughs> so, so decide to. Yeah. And you know what's another thing you said in your other story that was funny about the, the pillows being unsanitary? <laughs> I uh, know. That's like... People are so uninformed and believe whatever the fuck people tell them that like sometimes it's like here's your fucking common sense. I hate when people say shit. I'm like, are you thinking? Are you just regurgitating? They're what not allowed. Told you? You're not allowed. Like, uh, the hospital is so high in germs and bacteria because there's a bunch of sick people. Your house is literally the most sanded, like sterile place for you to have a baby because it's your germs and Absolutely. it's your shit. Absolutely. So it actually makes more sense in terms of like sterility. I don't even know if that's what I mean. <laughs> it is. It is a word. Uh, okay, good. Um, <laughs> to do it at home, you know, like you're, it's just, it's so ridiculous. And like for black women, because um, why we keep saying black women, black women, black women and the hospital, you know, is that we're, our infant mortality rates are like two and a half, like almost two and a half times the rates of other races like white people we our babies and our babies and mothers die at the highest rates still mm -hmm. still in the for hospital decades for forever and, and it's and and the people giving birth same yeah we have the highest maternal death rate regardless of whether you identify as a woman we have black folks have the highest death rate and you know some people say it's because of like i've, I've read that <laughs> it's because there's a less money, like low income. Um, another one was like, we wait to go to the hospital late to get mm -hmm. checked. Um, but it's like, you're just not informed. I mean, maybe you don't, I don't, I don't, it's obviously there's racism. Let's just be really, mm -hmm. let's be clear. People are being brushed off mm -hmm. and shit's happening. And mm -hmm. I think that's fucking scary. Mm -hmm. That statistic alone is like, eh, I'm good. Mm -hmm. You're obviously not trying that hard as mm -hmm. you are with this bitch over here. Nor have you been. Ever. Nor have you been. And you obviously, and no one feels like there's an a, a issue with it. So this is the thing you have to remember is the system that everyone talks about or the man, it was built for them. So it works for them. 
it was we were never included, included in the equation we were chattel we were the labor and so what lots and lots of people have finally agreed on is that the maternal and the infant mortality morbidity rates are directly linked to racism at the beginning of it all it's all about racism because uh, you know, for many years in medical school, they taught doctors that black people didn't feel pain the way white people did. And so black people didn't get epidurals when epidurals started happening. It was like, oh, you're fine. Or, well, the, ep- the, the epidural person isn't available right now, or we're, we're looking for them. Now, now, granted, you literally can just like breathe the wrong way and they're like, do you want epidural? <laughs> um, but for many, many years, we just weren't allowed access to the things that other people were given access to. My grandmother, the one who's a midwife, she never had twilight birth when all the other white nurses that were her counterparts were having twilight birth. And that was where they gave them that good juice Mm. through the IV and they fell asleep and they woke up and, oh, look, there's a baby here. But what they didn't talk about until years later was, you know, them waking up and being like, not knowing that they had had a baby, not knowing that they had either vaginally pushed out a baby or had a Mm C-section, not knowing like anything and being terrified or being awake the entire procedure but couldn't open their eyes. So they felt everything or they heard all the really misogynist, horrible, racist things that were happening. Black folks, a lot of black folks didn't have twilight sleep because it was like, oh no, you don't need that. Mm-hmm. Y'all, don't, y'all don't feel pain like that. That's crazy. And that's still, unfortunately, part of the reason why a lot of medical negligence happens is like, oh, she just, she just complains a lot. Oh, she just, whatever. Listening. And really you are like in the corner dying. You're like literally like I'm I'm actually dying right now and you can't be bothered because you think that I'm just being dramatic. I'm dramatic. I'm I'm needy. And you know when they talk about oh well it's because black folks don't have money or black folks don't have access. Well we know that that's BS because we have doctors, nurses, lawyers, we have educators, scholars that are dying in childbirth that are black. We have people with six figures and a partner and a house on the hill and four cars and dying in childbirth. They're not exempt. It's yet. no one's exempt. It is across the board racism. And so what we have found, what we know as midwives, as black midwives specifically, is that we cannot guarantee you a vaginal birth. But what we can guarantee you is that some of us, not all of us, are gonna ride for you in such a way that you never are worried about how it's gonna go because you are running the ship and I'm literally just your hype man. Mm-hmm. I'm just making sure that you have all the information, that you know you know you could go left, you don't have to go right. Oh, okay, okay, well what's left? These are all the things that are left. Oh, okay, 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 you know what? Nah, I'm gonna go down the middle. Great, let me give you the pros and cons of that. I didn't even see that as an option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, if it doesn't work out at home, going to the hospital and continuing to be an advocate, but also, and this is a role that I feel like only black midwives have to take on, brown midwives have to take on, and that is we then have to turn into basically, you know, your own personal security slash uh, liaison committee for community committee for all things healthcare, meaning coming into the hospital and being able to figure out very quickly who is about you and who isn't, mm-hmm. who is trying to literally sabotage your birth, who really doesn't care about you, who is dangerous and who isn't, and then calling them out on it in such a way that they understand. So mm-hmm. you can't you can't go into the hospital space and not speak their language. And I, I will always give thanks for the fact that I went to nursing school and that I came from nurses so that I knew how to get into those spaces mm-hmm. and keep black and brown people safe. Because that's the other thing is they'll try and talk over your head and be like, use these terms. Use and, terms. And, assume, and then they say baby dead. And you're like, okay. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, okay, whatever right. you said. Right. And in reality, it's like, well, you have the option of staying here or you can get up and go. And they didn't tell you that. Right, right. They don't play that. 
man, it's so crazy because I think even being like an informed black woman mm-hmm. or like a woman, a black woman who knows what she wants, like mm-hmm. I, me, me and my my OB became really cool. But I can I know initially she's probably like, oh, this bitch is really annoying. And in my mind, I was like, I'm gonna go to the hospital the whole way through, and then at the end, I'm gonna stay home. Mm-hmm. And I even said, can't you just be in my apartment building when I get labor? I, I, I she's mm-hmm. like, it maybe if you hadn't been here this whole time, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, maybe I couldn't lose my license, but no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's cr- people don't women don't understand like when you when you're pregnant when you give birth, you're in such a vulnerable place, and you're ma- most vulnerable. You're most vulnerable place, but it, if you really hone in on that power, it could be the most amazing experience it could be the most empowering experience of your life it's like literally it could be a like a a, a rite of passage i always say but mm-hmm. it could also be something completely different if mm-hmm. you don't if you don't look at all types of births i'm a obsessed home birth youtuber me, me and my child <laughs> some people think it's weird erica thinks it's weird that i should learn lots of home births online we watch animal births mother's birth births in the river like all types of births online mm-hmm. and because i got obsessed with it way before I got pregnant, I recognized that, oh, birth doesn't have to be this big, scary thing. Absolutely I've not. seen quiet births. I've seen people, like, laugh, orgasm, cry of tears birth. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, so I have, there's there's an option if I'm in tune with it. But when I when I ended up, I ended up having to go to the hospital, ended up getting induced because, you know, there's shit. Um, I remember there was one nurse, she was one way, and I remember this shift happening, the shift switch, and it was like a completely different vibe. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? Mm-hmm. And I was probably on some kind of twilight drug, because I remember like going in and out a little bit, but I, I just remember like, I don't have time for this type of different people. Mm-hmm. All, all, like, whose shift is it now, bitch? I, I like the last lady. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you come in here delegating shit that's yep. been delegated. Oh, yeah. Trying to kick people out. You need to calm the fuck down, okay? You know what I'm saying? But I, you don't have enough power and strength to be cussing people out <laughs> while you're in labor. Well, it just shouldn't even be what you have to do while you're trying to get right. a human here. Right. But, that's, but that's, <laughs> right. like, why do I have to check Nurse Becky right Like, now? I still have to be this black right now right. in this moment? Yeah. And even I had, like, wrote out a really extensive uh, uh, birth plan. And mm-hmm. I, the first person acknowledged it. The second one didn't. And then I realized at some point somebody was smart enough to be like, bitch, make copies of this. Because yeah. if you don't, this is It docu- disappears. But it's documented. Yes, absolutely. I mean, even, like, I want my placenta after this. Mm-hmm. Don't cut that cord until this, which I don't know if that happened. But, like, mm-hmm. but... You, you don't want to think about it. Like, it's common sense. Do you want to be in a hospital in this sterile environment, uncomfortable in this little ass bed? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to be at home? Mm-hmm. Listen to your playlist. Mm-hmm. Go, on, go on in the backyard, lighting some candles. They wouldn't mm-hmm. let me light candles in the fucking hospital. Mm-hmm. You want to go outside? I'm not saying you endorse this and smoke weed. You know, it's just whatever you makes you comfortable, you're in your space to do it. And mm-hmm. like, that, to me alone, I'm like, yeah, let's be at home and have the party. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to have to transport back and forth. It's mm-hmm. just like common sense, you know? But, you know, everybody's different. It's definitely getting harder and harder for family. So all of my children were born at 42 weeks. Okay. Every single one of them. Tardy to the party. Just mm-hmm. gave zero. They were like, what due date? And fortunately, they had a mom that was a midwife that literally felt the same way. I was like, whatever. Like, right. they're going to show up when they show up. Right. It was never going to be like, oh, I'm going to induce or I'm going to force this little person out. I was like, they will show up when they are ready. It's getting too big. So that is a lie. Uh, oftentimes what happens is they start to lose weight because the placenta is like, so <clears throat> how much longer are we going to do this? Right. Are you hungry? Yeah. <laughs> and so the, a lot of times babies that are born, you know, beyond 42 weeks, they will lose weight. And you can tell they're like, their skin looks really... 
um, leathery, like maybe a little bit deflated, like maybe it was puffy, full, chunky, and then kind of deflated a little. Mm -hmm. That happened to my oldest. Uh, He was born at 42 weeks, and at no point were my midwives like, so when are we going to start talking about making a baby come out? Like, he just... That's how long he took. And mm-hmm. when he came out, he looked like a little leathery little lizard. <laughs> His nickname was Turtle. And I was like, oh, Turtle. <laughs> and he got chunky eventually, and he filled out eventually, but he was very dry and crackly. My second one, he was eight pounds, two ounces, 42 weeks, and literally just, like, cussed me out from the moment he came out the water. <laughs> His true Scorpio self. Um, that's just who he is. But what I will say is that you know, the hospitals, they used to, quote unquote, allow people to go to 42 weeks. And now they barely let people go to 40 weeks. No, right? I know. I and think I, yeah, I think I was at 41. Yeah. And that just is laughable to me because I don't know if you experienced this when you were at your doctor's visit. They have this little wheel that they spin to kind of see like how far along you are in your pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a wheel. It's called a gestational wheel. <coughs> mm-hmm. It's called a guesstimation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that part. And the wheel is got all of the days of the year on it, all the months. And then in the middle it's 40 weeks gestation. Sometimes they'll go to 42, 43. And the reason why I hate that wheel (laughs) is because it's based on a 28-day cycle. And when I was having babies, it would be like every 38 days, more or less. So I knew, I was like, oh, when I have babies, these babies are about to to be posted up for a while because my cycle is hecka long. Doctors and hospital institutions are not allowed to take those things into consideration. And now it's as such that the law and the regulation, the regulating of midwives is that we can't take care of people beyond 42 weeks anymore. So if I was to be pregnant right now, I would be breaking the law when I gave birth because I know for a fact this this person wouldn't show up till after 42 weeks. Mm. So even families that are like, I want to have a home birth, I'm going to have a home birth in this day and age. There are now laws that so make legally, even... because you're licensed. Mm-hmm. If I was your patient and I was 43 weeks, you cannot. Nope. You cannot. Can't attend the home birth. We also can no longer attend twins, multiples. What? We can't attend. <coughs> we can't attend breech babies, babies who are born. That's first. bullshit. And Wait, it's past the time, or just in general. In period. general, anymore. Multiples. So you, it ended in 2014. That's so crazy. you. So any. So a client comes to you says, "I'm having twins." Yes, she has to go to the hospital. She has to go to the hospital. You know what's wow. gonna happen though? Because a bitch like me. I just had a dream last night that I had triplets. I want. I want. I used to want multiple. Maybe I, don't know it was, maybe I knew because she was coming. I was like, That's what I was thinking. Are you about to and, it, and it was a home birth. I'm on my period right now. Mm. Um. So it was like I was like. What? I woke up this morning and I was like, and I, there was a stillborn baby in my dream. Wow. Yeah, yeah I sort of deep dream. I don't know. What, and then I couldn't, I was like trying to figure out how to breastfeed all of them. And then it was just very strange. It was it got a little dark. That's another thing in hospitals. They always try to give you some fucking formula, like immediately. Well, that's, that's so yeah. Like my daughter, oh God, I'm trying to remember because I was on so many drugs. But for some reason she was, I had a C-section obviously. And then she, I, she, when I, she wasn't with me at first. Um, and then they had to do some tests or something. And so I was breastfeeding, but it wasn't like my milk hadn't come all the way in. Mm-hmm. Um, and did they give her? No, they didn't give her formula. But eventually, because I had such trouble breastfeeding, mm-hmm. um, and I had been trying for a few, like I've been doing it for two months, and they were saying that she was losing weight, they suggested that I supplement with formula, mm-hmm. which... I really didn't want to, but mm-hmm. I felt like, again, like I didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. I was like, my baby's, it is, she is losing weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that, I find that a lot of black people mm-hmm. don't even try to breastfeed. Mm-hmm. Um, they just go straight into the formula. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think a lot of it is, I think a lot of it is like, 
think a lot of it is because our bodies have always been sexualized. They don't look at our breasts Absolutely. as like nature and fucking these incredible I've heard, to our I've, kids. I've heard black mm-hmm. women say, uh, my mom told me that's nasty. Yeah, yeah. that I've heard that too. Or, almost, their, or their partner shaming them out yeah, of breastfeeding. I, I almost passed out. I've heard that too. That shit pisses me off on a whole different level. Like but I, the reason their mom says it is because probably their mother was forced to possibly breastfeed some white person's baby. Mm. Or their grandmother was forced to breastfeed some white person's baby. That mm. is, so that's that probably, is the is that where the shame comes from, We too? have the trauma and the shame because it was that was our responsibility, was to not breastfeed our own babies, to breastfeed these white babies. Mm. And if you, look, if you Google uh, wet nurse, you will always see a black woman not smiling with either a white baby on mm. her breast mm. or a white baby sitting on her lap and then maybe, maybe her own black baby in the picture somewhere nearby, but most often not. And so we have that trauma that I call it, I've for years I've called it cellular ancestral trauma where you just have a feeling come over you that says, oh no, don't do that. Mm-hmm. And you don't know why. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, that's that. Mm-hmm. And so for, you know, a lot of black people, it was the shame of having had to experience that and then you know if everyone in the community is like no we don't do that that's nasty are they okay yeah okay (laughs) um if it was my own i probably would say the same thing (laughs) but i have to ask um but it was the shame around you know you had to do something against your wishes and and allow someone to be on your body and take from your body and your child to suffer because of it that is going to leave an imprint it's going to leave a genetic imprint. And what happens then is if you've never seen your mother breastfeed, then how is breastfeeding going to be normal for you? How is it going to be something that you just lean into instinctively and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to breastfeed? Whenever I ask people, whenever people tell me, oh, we plan on breastfeeding, I want to breastfeed as long as this baby will let me, I always ask, who did you see breastfeed growing up? Who have you seen breastfeed? And sometimes people are like, oh, my grandma, my mom, my auntie, oh, my cousin once breastfed me because my mom was somewhere and couldn't breastfeed me. Like, I'll get those stories or I will get... No one in my family has ever breastfed. Never. That's crazy. And I, in thinking about, too, like you said, a lot of times partners are the ones that, oh, yeah. you know, shame. I think, I mean, I, that wasn't my case. Um, but I would say that, yeah, I think a lot of it is probably because they're like, when do I get access back to this body? Exactly. Like, you need to hurry Ownership. up. Okay, oh, the because this the baby, is my duty. The baby's out. Like, okay, let me, I'll let you heal for a little while. Yep. But like, when do I get my fun bags back? Yes. You know? And it's. It's crazy. And, you know, it, it like, talking about Black Breastfeeding Week and mm-hmm. the fact that, like, I had someone be like, well, why is there Black Breastfeeding Week? Like, why does it need to be? <sighs> oh, goodness. Oh, I was like, why, why does it, why, like, I don't understand. We know why. And, and yeah, and it's like, because the, the mortality rate, the infant mortality rate would be much lower if black women were more educated in, in, in breastfeeding or it was more familiar and we saw it more if they were encouraged. Well, we need to normalize it. It needs to be normalized. It's not, unfortunately, it's not normal in our community. Unfortunately, there isn't enough information around it. Unfortunately, most black women are going to go and get formula because that's what they think that they're that's supposed to do yeah. and that's better for their kids. They're going to put on weight faster. They're going to, you know, they get their bodies back mm-hmm. faster for their They get partners. their autonomy. And, mm-hmm. and what we also don't speak to and this is just, this is from many, many years of being a midwife. I, I'm, this is either year 17 or 18. I'm sorry. It's the anniversary. The anniversary's this month, and I'm like, uh, yeah. I don't oh, know. Gosh, I don't know. Oh, remind me to tell, you tell Luna what you do. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, but something that is just really painful to even acknowledge, but the majority of black people with vaginas, 
if you ask them in an intimate private space setting where they feel safest they will tell you at some point their body was touched without their consent that their body was harmed without their consent and so sometimes the breastfeeding can't happen because it is someone touching your body without your consent like even though you're okay i'm gonna breastfeed you but then the demand of when and how and where is this other person not you and so Mm, i came upon that early in midwifery where this black woman was just like no i'm not doing that and we just sat and we were just like really worked it out and then finally she realized the reason why was because she had been raped in college Mm. and there was a lot of there was a lot of of trauma to her breast during that experience and so when she came to me saying she wanted a home birth for all these different reasons but said she did not want to breastfeed I was just like okay let's let's sit with that like that's a that's a big thing what's that about and it was literally just like the thought of someone being able to have access to her body and her not be able to control the when and the where and the how made her visibly sick like she looked like she was gonna vomit like she was mm. she was getting the shakes and then she started crying and she was like i just can't do it and she's like and i don't i know i'm a terrible person i should totally want to breastfeed this baby and i just had to be like no you are a human being you are an individual and you have experienced horrific trauma and this tiny person doesn't need to be held through that like they will be all right i was like how do you want to feed this baby i was like because that's also midwifery is what is the best way for it to happen for you Mm -hmm. and sometimes that is a scheduled c-section and sometimes that is not breastfeeding Mm -hmm. what happened was she had mentally prepared for um donor milk she had a cousin that was had tons of milk had a freezer full and was a stay-at-home mom so she wasn't about (coughs) to be you know, back at work with milk. And so she was like, I'll donate. I got you, girl. At least for the first month, let's do donor milk. If you change your mind, you decide I want to do formula, we'll do formula, but your baby will get breast milk at first. She was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Baby comes, the baby's on her chest. And, you know, she works hard for this baby. And the baby does this thing that's called the breast crawl. And this little munchkin just made her way. It's all I I ever wanted. It's it's a thing. It's a I thing. know it makes me want to cry. Honestly, Jamila always laughs at me because I, She's I, like, I always wanted her to crawl to my breast. I did. I feel like I was really robbed of that. And, and you like, were. I know. And like and I were. really wanted that. And I feel like it could have made the difference. And like Absolutely. it like it makes me cry but thinking about it. Absolutely. And I feel like oh my, it's almost like I want to have a second one just so I can experience that. <laughs> like, calm down. I'm ser- <laughs> <laughs> like, pause. Pause. I'm serious. I'm just like I feel like mm-hmm. I really wanted that, and that's I mean. And that was healing for her mm-hmm. was so this baby crawled over to her breast and she was like, what? What's happening? What's happening? And I was like, it's a mammal instinct. That's why your nipples got so black. That's why your nipples right. are so large right. is because they know with they little, you know, weak neck cells, <laughs> right. they just got to get close enough to find the button. And they're like, that's where I'm supposed to get on. Mm-hmm. I was like, and they can smell you. They can smell it. It's crazy. And she was just like. Uh, uh, and I said, your baby doesn't have to do it. We can, we, I can move her. And she was like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. And she just kind of let, let it happen. happen. And she later on said, they breastfed for three years, by the way. <gasps> what? Three years. That's a, oh my God. Three years. Amazing. Three well, years. It, was probably, it probably was a healing. She it, said right. that when the baby latched on, that she was immediately triggered, taken back to that place. But then she also was still, like she was still in the birth tub. So she was also like grounded back to, no, you're, you really? just got this baby you're out here. of your body. Right. Like you're safe. She's safe. You're safe. And then she started crying. And she was like, we're doing it. We're doing it. And so, of course, everyone's crying because <laughs> we all knew that she wasn't going to breastfeed. Right. And 
you know, she was like, I'm not saying I want to do it forever, but like, this is okay. She's right okay. Now, right. And I was like, you're okay. She's okay. Right. And so at first it was, well, I'm going to breastfeed, but I'm only going to breastfeed at home because mm-hmm. I can't do, in public. do this in public. Like, like it takes, it took a lot for her to be like, okay, I'm okay with this. And then she started breastfeeding in public, but it was like, she had the whole tent over her <laughs> because that's what made her feel safe and protected right. and, and she became protective of the two of them and this experience right. and not wanting I think it was because also because she had a girl but it was like not wanting her daughter to be sexualized in her nursing like she just had a lot of things that she was working out and then eventually she was like you know I'm just gonna pump and pumping works for me and so they would nurse at home and then whenever they were public she had a pump. <coughs> right and that worked for her and that healed her. And every baby that she had after that, she breastfed until they didn't want to breastfeed anymore. But it was that experience of having the birth that she had and that baby doing it on their own that it wasn't something that I was like, oh, let's just try. It was just, it, that's how it yeah, happened. She was in control. And she was in control. And, you know, every appointment, you know, midwives also, we do way more follow up. So we have higher rates of breastfeeding because if people want to breastfeed, we're seeing you 24 to 48 hours after the birth. We're seeing you at like one week after the birth. We're seeing you at two, four, and six weeks. In the state of California, we're legally allowed to support you for the six weeks after you give birth. So really, depending on when you hire your midwife, you're hiring her for a year. Right. Just rough and dirty. Mm-hmm. So what we see then is less mental health issues because someone's constantly checking on you that actually cares about you and you have a relationship with there's someone available to you if your breastfeeding is not going well or if you're stressed out or if things are just, I don't know what's happening and I need to talk it out. Like, that's what midwives do. It's not just, your blood pressure's great. Have a great day. See you soon. It's all of it. And so when someone is is having a lot of um, intrepidation about breastfeeding or about their breasts or about what they're going to do with this baby and feeding this baby when everything around them is formula, formula, or, you know, we'll just pump or, you know, you know, if you want to have a good time, you have to pump and dump, which by the way, we don't do that anymore. We don't pump and dump. We don't? No. You just keep, you just give it to them? You just basically. Your body filters everything. It filters yeah. it. And, you know, the only time we, the only time we say you absolutely should not breastfeed is if you are a raging alcoholic because the toxicity level of your breast milk is just not worth the risk to the baby. Right. But if you're just going out and you're having Sunday brunch with your girls and you're staying on top of your two liters of water a day, you're filtering it through, you're pushing it through, and so the risk versus the benefit, the benefit's still much higher. Mm-hmm. They still encourage people that are going through drug treatment programs to breastfeed if they're not you know, really doing a horrible... Wow. Cool. Wow. 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 I'm like so scared to see what that room looks like back there. It's very quiet. I know. Something was going on back there. Do they uh, have slime? No. Hell no. Okay, well then you're good. We don't do uh, slime. We don't do play. We don't do slime. I, it's funny. Play-Doh. We had a, we were just, um, we were working and we, we, Jamila was eavesdropping on these ladies talking and one of them was talking about, she's pregnant and she was, I guess, feeling like. She, she was like, I, I don't really care about not drinking. But She's like, the smoking, I want to smoke. Mm-hmm. And My nose, yes. It's like, you can, I did. I, I want, like, what is your, I, like, when if you if you have a client that is a, mar- a cannabis user, mm-hmm. like, do you, what is, can, do you, can they smoke during pregnancy under, you know, what are your, what are your well, it's views diff- on that? It's different for us as black people, as in all things. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> My, the first home birth that I went to as a, like a student midwife, an apprentice studying to become a midwife, like the dad was smoking a blunt and like she was hitting it every three or four contractions and pushed a baby out that was fully alert, screaming and hollering. 
And she was like, yeah, I couldn't have gotten through that label without it. When I went to midwifery school, which was predominantly white, I was the only black person. There was a brown person in the class ahead of me. But prior to me, there hadn't been a black student in, I think, five years or Mm -hmm. 10 years. Um, All the white midwives, it was in the protocols. Like, if someone is having a hard early pregnancy and can't keep food down and is suffering from nausea and vomiting to the point of losing weight, suggest cannabis. Like, that was a part of midwifery school. Oh, wow. Like, old... In Texas. Old white women in the 70s was smoking weed weed during their pregnancies, during their birthing. And so were black people. It's just that black people, we were going to go to jail jail for it. And it's the same thing now. Like, I have clients that... I have white clients that had the full on like the the volcano. It's like looks like a giant oh the puffy yeah. bag and you know it's super fancy. I think it's like a thousand dollars and it, you burn the weed and, and it, it turns it into vape sleep. and it turns into like a giant air balloon and then they're like huffing on it and then they put a cap on it and it keeps it safe in this little baggie. And I've had clients. Yeah, it's super fancy. It's classy shit. Super classy. <laughs> um, <laughs> like non bong. Okay. It's non bong. It's vape. Okay. It's oh. like the original vape. Okay. Right. Right. And I've had clients. You know, in labor, white clients, in labor, totally just gone to the wind, having these, you know, super trippy, quote unquote, births. And I was just like, whatever. And I knew if we went to the hospital and they knew if they went to the hospital, because I, of course, give true informed consent that it might be problematic. And I've had white clients faded to the skies, roll into the hospital because for whatever reason we rolled in. And never got a drug test. Never Ooh, got so, a, a so test. So you've seen that it's it's not it's not equal. It's and not so, it's not just like standard. Uh uh-uh. Because I think I was afraid of that. That was one thing. I was like, I'm not going to doctor because I've been smoking. And I didn't smoke a lot during my pregnancy. But that I remember a friend of mine in Atlanta who had had a lot of kids had given birth. And when they tested the her or the baby, there was whatever THC the came tiniest out. bit. Yeah, and, like I don't even. All her kids are fine, but mm-hmm. I think she they didn't take her kid, but she had to go to some program. Uh huh. And like it was, there was a threat to or something. Yes. And I remember thinking, oh, if this happens to me, I'm leaving, mm-hmm. I'm taking my kid, and we're out. I thought about that for a lot of reasons. What but, about breastfeeding? Because I think that's when I encounter a lot of women ask, even us too, because like we breastfeeding and, and, and smoking. Cannabis. Yeah, because I we, smoke because we I mean, I know you have, but like I'm just curious to like what what you tell other women too. I mean, so it's tricky because licensed midwives in the state of California we're licensed on the same board as the OBGYNs, the, mm-hmm. the medical board. <coughs> so we're mandated reporters. Mm-hmm. Mandated. We're supposed to report on anything where a child is being endangered or a person is being endangered, and I can say. With pride, I've only ever had to call Child Protective Services or a services agency twice in all of my years of midwifery. And it was where, like, literally the person, they did not have heat. They did not have running water. They were basically squatting in a house. And I went there for the home visit prior to birthing and was like, yo, y'all can't have a baby here. Like, this isn't safe for you. Right. And they were just like, this is just what we can afford. This is what we're going to do. And I was like, okay, well, you got to figure out hot water and electricity before we have a baby here. I don't know what they did, if they jerry-rigged it, but they had it. But then, like, four days postpartum, I smelled gas in the house. Mm. And I'm like, you're getting poisoned right now. You and the baby are getting poisoned. And they were just just like, yeah, there's nothing we could do about that. And I was like, y'all, for real. You could die. Like, you could die. Like, you got to get out of here. And they couldn't get out. And I was like, I'm not calling Child Protective Services on you, but I'm telling you right now, if you don't get this baby out here, either at your mama's house, your cousin's house, your auntie's house. I will. The the, the snooty fox on Western, like, wherever. You got you got to because this this is not okay. And so they did. They figured it out and got out. But with that being said, I cannot legally say, oh, it's perfectly fine if you smoke weed. I can't say that. But what I can do is point you to the realities of being a black person that smokes weed while pregnant, 
while lactating, while trying to get pregnant, and that is if at any point you come in contact with medical professionals, they're absolutely going to drug test you, regardless of what your name is, who you are, what your HMO is, how big your diamond is, how tall your person is that's with you. They don't care. They just automatically do it to all black people. And so you have to take those things into consideration. We know that THC stays in the system for 30 days. So if you go on your little 30-day fast right before your baby comes... I'm just more worried. This, I'm not worried. I'm not because I'm not worried. That it's like going to affect the baby. <laughs> How does it affect the baby? Because there's so many... It's not, not, there's not a lot of studies it's, on it. It's it's they're not, because they're not... <laughs> well, I know, but I... But she just touched your toes right. I just wonder, <laughs> I just wonder, is there some article that I have not seen? Because I feel like there's not... A, there's like really no proven but the thing anything is, saying that it's bad. But if you find an article, no. I'm going to say it's probably written by a white person mm -hmm. who is in the medical field who does not support so, THC being a, 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 in a person's body. Like, they, they see weed as a gateway drug, even though now we have, like, basically Apple stores that are for weed. Right. That part. Um, right. So this is what I can say. In all my years of supporting families that smoked or vaped or consumed tincture or whatever way of getting THC cannabis in their body, the babies have been fine. I've never had a baby with like depressed breathing. I've never seen a baby that like, you know, struggles with focus or didn't learn how to walk because their person that was smoking weed or vaping or whatever was breastfeeding them. The only thing I've ever seen, and it was actually a white client many, many years ago, and I think, I think I have the theory around this, she smoked every day of her pregnancy. Weed that she grew in her backyard. And then after she had a baby, she smoked every day that she was breastfeeding from the weed in her backyard. But she also loved dairy. So her kids were snotty, nasty, boogery all the time. And she's like, I don't know why my kids are so mucusy. Maybe it's the weed. And I'm oh, like, oh, I think maybe it's the dairy. <laughs> Literally. So that's the only, like, I've never had someone who, like, had a child with eating issues or sleeping issues or emotional issues while their parent was consuming cannabis and you know, breastfeeding, chest feeding, pumping milk. I just feel like it's important for our listeners to know because they don't know Luna. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like they want to perfect. No, I'm just but they no, just like, you know, they just want to know like obviously I mean, obviously you can't say like this is this is it, but like in your experience, like you haven't encountered anything. I think a lot of women are always so I we get messages all the time about it and they're like scared. Oh absolutely and I, I we also say like we have even told the girl that we were eavesdropping on, like mm -hmm. If you choose to smoke, just don't share it with, your with everyone because everyone's going to have a time. But that's what kind of person you are. I'm the type of person, you can tell me the sky is red. If I said it's purple, bitch, it's purple. Like, mm -hmm. I, so I, I, don't, I don't argue with a lot of people. And I didn't tell some people, like, I'll tell my mom right now, vaccinations came up yesterday. Ooh, child. I said, I don't want to talk about it. She immediately got mad. I said, I'm not getting defensive. I'm just not talking about it. Well, that's a whole other thing. I mean, even like. That's a whole other podcast. I know. <laughs> Something yesterday because I took my daughter to the doctor and I said, you know, what if I asked our following, like, what is their views on vaccination? Let's be nice. And this is my CBD for my cramps that I'm raging right now. So I'm sorry. just gonna just. This They're is like, let's be nice. Um, yeah, that is a whole other episode. But you know, it's a very touchy subject. And everything How do you feel about it? Oh, Lord, child. You, know, <laughs> you don't have to. You don't. I don't. So. I mean, I'm more than happy to share. Um, uh oh. Let me know if you need to. No, we're just running. Like, yeah. I'll wrap it up soon just because I think I'm running out of space on my computer again. Oops. Okay. okay, so really quickly, vaccines. I feel like no one should be told what to put in their child's body if 
if the repercussions are, oh, oops, too bad. So this is, goes for vaccinations, this goes for weed, this goes for Tylenol, this goes for Benadryl. If I put something in my child's body because you tell me I have to, and my child gets sick, gets injured, gets harmed by it, and your response to it is, too bad, but you're going to say I absolutely have to do it, uh, no. There's no accountability. That's a, that's a no. Because if I do something because you tell me I have to do it and something terrible happens to my child and in very, very tiny, small, fine print, it says, but you can't sue us if something goes bad, that's, that's going to be a no. That's going to be a no. I need to be able to have the ability to be financially compensated to now take care of possibly a compromised or, or sick or ill child because of following your directions where you said i don't have a say so like i have to do this thing that's my biggest thing that's it at the end of the day i need someone to be able to say well if this doesn't work out these are our other options and this is how we'll support you and this is what we'll do for your baby but that is not the case yeah um ha i have one more question oh, go ahead. um I'll be quick. how how do, what is your take we were talking about this before you came like I have, so one of my best friends who had multiple home births, she has mm -hmm. twins and another daughter, and then most recently she was pregnant, I think two years ago, and she went all the way full term, and the baby she gave birth to the baby, and he had no heartbeat. Mm -hmm. um, so she ended up going to the hospital. Um, what's your, which like, just in general, like, how many, have you ever had any stillbirths in your experience? Yeah. yeah. And, and how, how did those people cope through it, or what is your, like... It's horrific. If people say, like, it's because you had a home birth, no. you had a stillbirth. It's right. horrific. It's horrific. It's the hardest thing that any person that has to be pregnant and go through that could ever go through. No one can tell them anything. Um, it is the most difficult thing for a midwife to go through in their in our work because even though we're licensed healthcare providers, we're not seen as healthcare providers in the medical system. And so there is no... Uh, paid time off for therapy and for wellness and for recovering from your own trauma of experiencing it. So midwives, home birth midwives specifically, you, you, if you go through that, you, it's all on you to heal from that, to be able to show up for other people and not operate from a place of fear and thinking that everyone's babies right, are going to die. You already have other clients. It's not like, okay, sorry, we had yeah. a death. I need to take a break. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. And I will tell you that it was with the wonderful training of that original white midwife and some other white midwives. Um, that I learned that early on is that you have to be able to step away and get yourself together because you can't bring that into somebody else's birth. But back to your actual question, yes, I have supported families that had babies that died before they were even went into labor. I've been with families that were in labor and their baby died. And in some of those instances, um, well, actually, no, in all of those instances, if they had been at the hospital, it was a very slim likelihood that we would have still had a live baby. If we had, we might have had a live baby that was compromised, meaning brain damage, or you know, just have just not be the baby that they would be if they had been born, you know, maybe a week early. So like the whole entire time you're pregnant, there is the possibility of your baby not meeting you at the end with their beautiful little face and lungs full of oxygen. That's always the case. I tell people from the moment you decide to be pregnant, all bets are off mm -hmm. and nobody wants to hear that but that is the reality of the situation and so we have people that they never even get to 30 weeks and then their baby just doesn't have a heartbeat and then they have to decide how they want to go forward with that do they want to push that baby out at home in the safety of their own place and experience that 
intimate experience in a place that feels safe to them? Are they going to go to the hospital and be induced? Or some people's insurance is really fucked up and will be like, oh, okay, well, you just have to wait till you go into labor because we're not going to pay for anything else. Mm. So there's that. Um, for the families where it was just something that just happened, um, you know, in the hospital, maybe it would be a crash C-section, maybe. Uh, because what people also forget is that the time from oh shit, something's wrong in the hospital to we're going to get you in the OR and do a crash C-section, that's still anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes. They'll tell you in the private prenatal appointments with your doctor, oh, if we need to get your baby out, we can get your baby out like this. But the reality is, is like, if you haven't had enough IV fluids, if you know, you're in a certain position or if you don't have an IV or you've been laboring without an epidural, you know, there's a lot of other steps that have to happen. If there's no OR open, you have to wait until there's an OR open and they don't take those things into consideration. Doctors have babies die all the time, but they're protected by the hospital. They're protected by their malpractice. They get time off and therapy and paid vacation to heal if they feel like they need it, if they feel like they experienced trauma. But for the most part, it was like, oh, well, that was going to happen. There was nothing we could do about that. Mm -hmm. And in home birth, that is never allowed. It was it was because you were at home. It's mm -hmm. because you had a midwife. It's never, oh, well, you know, this would have happened at the hospital as well, and it would have been probably the same outcome. It's, well, because you were at home. Mm -hmm. I had a client who um, had pushed out a baby after uh, a C-section, basically on a gurney. And her own doctor was like, oh, you should just have your next one at the house because clearly like, the babies want to come out of your vagina. Mm -hmm. And so they were scientists, not spiritual people. And so they had done all their research and the statistics. And the statistics are, if you've pushed out a baby before, after you've had a C-section, the likelihood that everything's going to go right the next time after that is that it's going to go right. The, the statistic, I think, at the time was like, 0.001 like super low that things will go wrong and they were that statistic mm. and they lived approximately seven minutes from a hospital and i can't tell you the fuck shit we went through getting to the hospital we had the emts that were trying to get iv in on the street while i'm screaming at them that you know we gotta go like this baby's heart rate i still have it so let's go and knowing that we're seven minutes in your everyday average car, but in an ambulance, that's probably like maybe three. Right. right. Maybe. Let's go. Then they finally get to the hospital and they take her to the emergency room. Nobody down there is doing births. Right. Like we need they're to not managing. Right. They're you're supposed to go directly labor and delivery. So then they by the time they get to labor and delivery, the ultrasonographer is like, yeah, I don't see a heart rate. <sighs> so and and truthfully, the ultrasonographer couldn't truthfully diagnosed the position of the baby because they were not skilled enough and hadn't realized that the baby was no longer even in the uterus. Mm. Mm. Because what happens is when the uterine scar opens, it's like kicking open the door of a plane mid-flight. Shit's getting sucked out. Mm -hmm. and so this little person got sucked out and was inside of their parents' like abdomen. Mm. That baby saved their parents' life, though, because this very large vein. The reason why they're afraid of VBACs in the hospital um, is that if that scar opens, all of your blood flow is just going to come out of there and you're, you're, the parent that is pregnant is going to hemorrhage and die in a very, very <coughs> short period of time. Well, this little tiny human came out of their, their parent's womb, came out of their scar, and the way that their little head basically got forced into their ribs, it acted as basically a, a stopper. stopper. Mm. And so when they opened that person up for that C-section to get the baby out, there was no blood. That baby had saved their parents' life. Wow. 
but this baby wasn't like 10 pounds. This baby wasn't exponentially bigger than their previous sibling. And it had been many years and it just happened. I have, I've never seen so many doctors shimmy around, uh, what do we do? And what is this? And what, why was she having home birth? Well, who's going to do the C-section? Like, no one at any point was like, we are so sorry. Mm. What can we do to make this as as healing as possible for you? Like, what can we, like, they were literally assholes until the day they left the hospital. Wow. So it does happen, and it's horrible and it's hard, and midwives talk about it, but we don't talk about it in a way that's like, your baby's gonna die. It's when you first come into care. These are all the different things that could happen, but they could also happen in the hospital. And so you're choosing, you're choosing autonomy and that's another piece is midwifery you have to have your own mind you have to have like a clear idea of what it is that you want and your midwife supports it it is not <coughs> midwives convincing people to have home births that really don't want to have home right, births. Right. It's, it's showing up for people that are like i would do this even if you're not coming right. but i would prefer if you were here well they're right. coming to you because they want that you're not seeking them out exactly yeah. but sometimes people you know oh i saw the business of being born i want to have a home birth but don't want to take any liability they want it to still be like the doctor well tell me what to do rasha well, what should, what would you do? What what would you do? This and is I'm not like, my baby. This, this is not my pregnancy. Yeah, right? like only you know. And I've had people sit across from me in labor and be like, I don't I don't know why this is, but I just think we should go. Like I just have a bad feeling. And a midwife, a good midwife, is gonna listen to that. It doesn't matter if the blood pressure's great, the pulse is great, baby sounds great, water's not broken, there's no temperature, there's no fever, there's nothing. You've been eating, drinking, everything's fine. When someone looks me in the face and goes, I just I think we should go. Every single time, it's been absolutely appropriate. It was a baby that absolutely needed to be born in the hospital, and we wouldn't have known it until it was, like, birthing time. Mm. And so that's another piece, being heard from that other place of... Well, taking off your, uh, like, midwife hat, or not taking it off. You don't ever take it off. It's a part of it. But taking off of, like, making it about you and your person, this journey that you've taken with this Mm -hmm. person, and you want to complete the journey this way, Mm -hmm. and listening to what they At all times. Yeah. At all times. And also being... Comfortable enough to to be instinctual about what it is. That's nothing like you're, you people underestimate their motherly instinct Your instinct as a human like sometimes things are gonna tell you no something just don't feel right And you need to be able to go with your gut and feel that and not and be in tune with yourself in order to figure that out Well, so that's where that's where racism keeps coming back into the conversation because black people are basically taught from the beginning of time from the moment we can get words and you know communicate with others in, in the past, not now, not so much now, hopefully, black people are made to feel like we don't know as much. We have, we, so many of my peers, so many of people, black women, black, black folks that I look up to, they talk about in private struggling with uh, imposter syndrome. And it literally is just that thing of black is not as good as white. Mm. And so midwives, black midwives specifically, we're wearing so many hats, but most of them are literally just combating years of racism and trauma. It's reminding you, you know, you know your body. Mm -hmm. You, you are smart. You are not, you don't have to be a doctor or a midwife to know something's not right. And that is good enough. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame for so many people that that's the only time that happens for them. And so I love it. Uh, There's this thing that happens sometimes in midwifery where who comes to me in the beginning, the couple that shows up at the beginning is not the couple at the end. And sometimes the partner that was not pregnant is not really prepared for that new person that's shown up, which is this person that knows who they are, knows their power, knows what they're capable of, and is then on this like, yeah, and I got this baby out of my vagina. (laughs) And like, 
before maybe was this person that was like, oh, sure, babe. Yeah, whatever you want. Yeah. And now it's like, get your own fucking dinner. And I was like, oh, 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 so, oh, oh. And I watch it happen and I love it. I live for that. I live for that. The moment where I watch them be like, oh, bitch, I got all the power. Well, they found their power. They, they found, found their power. Yeah. Right I, did this. I love it. But it, it is stressful and hard for the partners. And that's another part of my job as a midwife is to remind them, like, you're still this person's person, but you now have to adjust how you see them. You saw what they went through. Now you need to rise show up. To you need to rise to the occasion. You need to get to their level. And it's unfortunate. Sometimes home birth makes relationships not stronger. It challenges them in ways that the person that wasn't pregnant is not prepared for. Because mm. you got a whole new boo now. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there's that moment. And sometimes it happens right away at the birthing. And sometimes it happens later because it's delayed or because it's taken from us. But that moment where you were like, I will murder everyone for this person. Here. Right. I will kill you. <laughs> and and sometimes our partners, they're just like, whoa. Who are you? I don't, I don't like that. That mm. doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So I love that part. <laughs> I love I love watching people come into their power and realize how strong they are and how much say so they have and and what they're really truly capable of. And it has nothing to do with me. I'm so happy that you do the work you do. I think I want to be in birth work. I said this like two weeks ago. I used to. Work. You have to be prepared to literally have zero schedule and always be on call and oh, never right. have no fun. Oh yeah, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not it's not never no fun, but it's like there are very small windows where I get to quote unquote turn up because there's always the possibility you have to be present. of someone calling me and being like, my water just broke and I'm 28 weeks. Okay, well, um, well, let me ladies, this was fun. Hey, let me put this uh, shot down. Yeah, and gotta now go. I gotta go be at a hospital and advocate for this person to have as good a hospital birth as possible and for their baby to be respected to the best of our abilities because now we're not having a home birth. We're gonna be fighting for you know, maybe still a vaginal birth, maybe breastfeeding still, like all these other things. The, mm-hmm. the role of a, of a black midwife is so very different than a white midwife. Right. Well, thank you for what you do. And thank you, thank you for coming and sharing all of your knowledge and experience with our audience. When and I get pregnant, you will be my midwife. And you're so and She's available. Cause so I funny. make it pregnant first, bitch. Oh, come. <laughs> take, take, take turns. Take turns. Take turns. I better not have that baby close to my baby because so she's I, coming to me. I like hide Jamila's phone. Uh, <laughs> you are hilarious. I, I have had sisters like literally email me within months of each other about their pregnancies and they, they, they did hire me and that was so much fun. <laughs> so much fun. That's cool. That's awesome. Tell everybody where they can find you. Oh, yeah. Okay, that part. Um, I'm terrible at this. Okay. Uh, allegedly, there's a Facebook, but I don't run it. Um, <laughs> oh, my, my web mistress does. Okay. Your web mistress. Uh, because they were like, you have to have a Facebook account. But I was like, I hate Facebook. I left years ago. And they were like, just do it for the business. So there's a Facebook. I wouldn't recommend reaching out there. Um, mostly my website, uh, www.crimsonfig.com. Um, I'm local to Los Angeles. You can Google me, um, Rashad Tahani Lawler, or The Black Midwife, or Crimson Fig, or Crimson Fig Midwife. Uh, on Instagram, which I love because it's just pictures and a little bit of talking and then leaving. Uh, there's no, I don't argue on Instagram. Uh, Instagram, it's Crimson Fig, just Crimson Fig. Uh, I believe there's an underscore in between the Crimson and the Fig, or you can just put in Black Midwife. Um, yeah. Cool. That's that's it. That's thank all. you. I'm so happy you came. Yes, thank you for thank having you. me. And thank you for, you know, talking about all the things that are hard to talk about, like surgical birth, C-sections and trauma and smoking weed and trying to breastfeed a baby and 
you know, all the things in between that we have to navigate in black bodies when birthing. Like, we don't get to just go in the backyard and have an orgasmic birth. Yeah. There's levels to this. There is. I'm really, I just want all black women to at least know they have the option and know, like, you know, you could do this too. Mm, Yeah, Yeah, I think it's time to go. I don't know what's happening out there. Um, but anyway, you guys know where to find us. But if you don't, it's good moms, bad choice. Good moms, wow. Good moms You're underscore tired. bad choices. I'm not even tired. Oh. I'm just, I don't know. Okay. Um, good moms underscore bad choices yeah, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And it's goodmomsbadchoices.com. Yeah, subscribe to our newsletter. Um, Buy some merch. Uh, submit some advice questions and some horries if you have any. Some what? Horries. Horror oh, stories. Horror stories. Horish tales. A highly horish tale that's maybe funny or... You mean like the time I went to that birth with no draws on because I got called in the middle of something? Oh! oh yeah, yeah. Like that. yeah. <laughs> that's a midwife horry. Turn it Look away! It was very discreet squatting. It's a well, they probably thought, oh, she's very natural. She's a natural woman. No, no, no. You're like, you're so dressed up for our birth. And I was like, yeah. This is my lingerie. No, <laughs> you interrupted me. Yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah, so guys, we'll catch you guys next week. Happy Black Breastfeeding Week. Happy Black Breastfeeding Week. We need more of it. Chocolate milk. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One time a lot, I mean, one time a lot, uh, Luna Luna asked Alana, what kind of milk is that? My mom has chocolate milk. (laughs) Brilliant. The baby's a brilliant. Alana's like, vanilla. (laughs) (laughs) Russian. Russian milk. Russian milk. Russian milk. I was like a white Russian. (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.